Psalm 44, verse 1, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by, their own ha- not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us that we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and have covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. It's the word of the Lord. Two years ago, uh, our, one of our middle children was turning four, and uh, I was doing a wedding in Tennessee, and so we decided uh, on a very hot, kind of a week like we've had, it was really hot, and uh, we went to Dollywood, and uh, one of our friends told us, uh, you've got to wait, there's, there's a couple of wet rides, and I said, you know, do the dry ones in the beginning, and then you need to do the Smoky River Rampage to, to close out your time there, and just good advice in some ways, but by the end of the day, our kids were pretty worn out, um, tired, skipping naps, and uh, right as we're getting down to the place where you're about to get on these little inner, big inner tube-looking boats, uh, we walked by, I guess it was like the electrical mechanical room for the ride or the steam pump. Anyway, whatever room we walked by, there was like this loud hiss and this bang and that like triggered something in our kids' minds. because they'd seen the ride. It's very tame as far as adventure <laughs> rides go. It's, it's a pretty tame uh, ride at the park. But they all of a sudden stopped wanting to go on the ride after we walked past that. And uh, between then and, you know, 60 seconds later, what turned into like slight fear had um, devolved into what we call in our family like a nuclear meltdown. Um, they were like screaming, 
yelling at me, and it was with our younger child, so she was, uh, she was innocent in this, but, uh, you know, they started saying, like, Dad, you're being mean. Dad, you're a mean dad, you know, kind of tag-teaming, um, and we had the full attention of uh, most of the employees of that ride, and it was odd because my kid, we ended up not getting on the ride. We did the walk of shame out, uh, and it was odd because our boys were angry at me. Uh, they were pretty sure they couldn't trust me. Uh, they at least didn't trust me to bring them on this ride, and yet they were clinging tightly to me. Even though they were sad, even though they were angry, even though they weren't sure they could trust me, they were running to me. And in the psalm we just read, in Psalm 44, this is is what they call it. It's, It's a national lament. This was written on behalf of the country of Israel. And, and we, we don't know everything that's going on, but we know that they're in battle and they're losing. And they're getting slaughtered. And it, it's getting so bad that the, the, the neighboring countries are mocking them. They're losing land. They're losing loved ones. And yet in the midst of this, they're taking that pain to God. Even though they're confused, even though they're not sure they can trust him, they are running to him and crying out to him with their pain and with their sadness. And, and, and this psalm, like all the psalms of lament, it's important because uh, if you're like me, I tend to be a more glass half empty type guy. My wife can test that. Uh, or sorry, glass, glass half full. I'm more of an optimist uh, like more energetic music, stuff like that. And it's, I don't love sitting in sadness. I'm not one of those, I'm not the type of person that can just sit and reflect for long periods of time. I don't like it. It's like, when, uh, if you've seen the movie um, uh, Inside Out, you, you know, the, the little child, it's, it's basically the five main characters are a child's five main emotions. And Amy Poehler appropriately plays Joy, Uh, But joy has a problem when sadness comes into the room. When sadness comes into the room, joy wants to take over the controls. She doesn't let sadness enter the picture. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that's pretty indicative of a larger struggle. We don't know what to do with our sadness, whether that's our own sadness or the sadness of other people. We don't like it, and we don't know what we're supposed to do when we feel it or when we experience it. And how amazing it is that the Bible knows these emotions. This psalm knows and recognizes that emotion. It recognizes what it is to be sad. And not just a momentary sadness, but probably what is a months-long corporate sadness, corporate pain. You know, this was written, it says in, in the beginning, if you have your Bible, it says, right before I read, it says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. This was written by those who led the music in the temple. And it's written to the choir master. This is a psalm that, that was meant to be sung collectively. The Bible knows our sadness. It knows what it is to be in pain. And, and that's important for us to know because I know... In a group this size, there are those of you, maybe even this week, have felt the pain, or maybe you've felt sadness, and we can be tempted to believe in those moments or in those long seasons that what you're going through is somehow sub-Christian or not Christian. 
And yet here we have in Psalm 44 a psalm of lament and pain to cry out to God. And so we're going to look at three things in this psalm. Uh, The first section, we're going to look at uh, what it looks like to wrestle with what God has done in the past. Uh, Secondly, we're going to wrestle with what God is doing in the present. And then lastly, look at what it looks like to cry out to God in our pain. Before we do that, let me pray for us real quick. Father, uh, we need this psalm. Lord, I need this psalm. Lord, there's pain and there's heartache uh, in this world, which is very obvious in this season of pandemic and quarantine and injustice. And there's also pain and sadness that is much further beneath the surface. God, we cry out and ask you that you would meet us tonight, whether we are currently feeling sad or we will feel sad. Lord, would you meet us and direct us to the only source where we can be healed and find hope in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I remember uh, friends of mine sat down when we were in college. We were talking to a pastor and he was talking about how he instructs people who come to him with problems or frustrations about their roommates. And he'd been at He'd done campus ministry for a while, and so he kind of just said, I have this thing now. When people come to me with roommate complaints, I say, I'm going to hear your complaint. But what I want you to do first is I want you to list 10 things about yourself that are hard to deal with or hard to live with. Of course, some of us there were roommates. We'd had tension, and I remember thinking, gosh, if I was in the midst of a problem, I don't know that that's what I would want to hear in the midst of my frustration, in the midst of my tension And when you read this psalm and you think about what Israel is going through, it's a little bit surprising the way this psalm begins. I mean, if you were just to read the first eight verses of this psalm, you would have no idea that Israel was being massacred on the battlefield, that they were losing loved ones, losing land, that people were mocking them. The the, the first eight verses of this psalm sound like a song of praise. They sound like whatever the, whoever wrote this is going through a season of joy and of happiness. Why are they doing that? Because in the, there are other psalms of lament, and, and this is kind of the beauty of the psalms. There's, there's not, Christianity doesn't offer kind of a, one trick to dealing with your anger, one way to deal with your sadness. Other psalms begin, and they'll say, Why, O oh Lord, have you forgotten us? Or cry out to God in their distress. This psalm, it is a psalm of lament, but it doesn't begin that way. Why? In the midst of great despair and in the midst of great sadness and even in the midst of great danger, the psalmists take time to reflect on who God is and what he has done. It's important when we are in the midst of pain and sadness that we remember who God is. Because if God is who he says he is, if he is almighty, if he is eternal, if he is good, and if he's all good, then that means that he's actually greater than our circumstances. It's important to remember who he is. The famous 
Protestant reformer Martin Luther struggled with depression his whole life. And he eventually got married later in life. And uh, his wife recounts the story where he was, uh, after struggling with something triggered a, a, a season of, of peak depression for him. And after three days of just spending all day, every day in his room, his wife came in there wearing all black. And of course, you know, in the 1500s, you're wearing all black. That meant you were going to a funeral. And he said, who died? And she said, God. And he looked at her and he said, you know, this is Martin Luther. The the I'm sure he had all, of, all manner of theological answers to explain how God couldn't die and she looked at him and she said, oh, well, I thought he did, by the way, you've been acting the past three days. Um, that's probably, that's a pretty rogue approach to dealing with someone in sadness. She had a sense of humor. She had some um, relational capital. Um, it's shocking. It's maybe a little bit insensitive. But he needed to be reminded. And oftentimes we lose sight of the fact in our sadness and in our pain, it can be easy to think it can be easy to buy into the belief. We, we maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but we believe it in the way we act and the way we think that our circumstances are somehow too great for God or that we are in a situation that is completely out of control, even God's control. And we need to be brought back to the truth of who God is and what he has done. And as you read verses 1 through 8, you see that. You, 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 you see, and you don't just see the psalmist reflect in general what God has done. You, you kind of see the psalmists focus in on this, on this one theme of God. In verses 1 through 8, the, the thing they're kind of focusing in on, on what God has done and what God is about is that he is in the business of using small and weak people to display his glory. Look, look at verse 3, not by their sword. Verse 5. Through you we push down our foes. In God we have boasted continually. Verse 6, not in my bow do I trust. This is a theme you see throughout the first eight verses. It's a theme you see throughout Scripture when you look at the lives of people like Joshua and Moses and Abraham. You see God working through people who are not in and of themselves mighty. God loves to do his best work when the odds are stacked against him. You think about the early church. That the fact that Christianity ever took off in the Roman Empire is a testament to the fact that God is at work. The early church was not a group of influencers. Jesus' disciples certainly were not uh, loved by society. And yet God was at work in spite of all outward circumstances point of the fact that this thing would never take off that no one would ever believe this the people they follow was crucified as a criminal why would anyone devote themselves to this kind of religion and yet God was at work and so they remember that this is what the psalmists do they're going through pain and they remember they remember and recite what their parents had told them and they, they don't do this just to suppress their feelings. They don't do this to deny their current pain. As we'll see in a couple of verses, they do that very explicitly. But no, they, they do this because when, when we face problems and uncertainty, when we are overwhelmed, we need truth. If we are to have any sense of hope, 
if we are to survive, if we are to maybe even thrive in the midst of danger and pain, we have to have a truth that it transcends our pain. It's why if we all went down to the beach and it was a huge storm coming and we had to get into a boat, we would choose the bigger boat. You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise before. Remember the first time I went on a cruise, I couldn't believe how little I felt the waves. Now, I did feel them, but like, I remember looking out over the balcony one day and there's like huge waves, but we're just sitting there. You know, we're able to sit in like the buffet, eat waffles, you know, have a drink and we're not phased by it. But I've also been deep sea fishing in a smaller boat where everyone is feeling the effects of it. We need truth that is bigger than ourselves and bigger than our circumstances. And so they begin by remembering they have a God who is mighty and they have a God who has been faithful to them. But then in verse 9, they also acknowledge that, that not only has God been faithful to them in the past, but right now, they don't feel like he's being very faithful to them. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. They feel like they are sheep being led to a slaughterhouse. They're getting beaten on the battlefield. Their neighbors are mocking them. Why don't you cry out to your God? The God who was previously with their fathers and their ancestors, right now it appears he is not with them. He is not going out with their armies. And they're confused too because in verses 17 and 18 they say, you know, God, we haven't stepped away from your covenant. We haven't gone and worshipped other God. They're not, they're not claiming that they've been sinless. But they are saying like, Lord, we haven't turned our back on you. We don't understand what's going on. Like, like we're still praying to you and things are hard. I think so, and that's huge because so often in our pain and our sadness, if you're like me, our first thing is to think, what have I done wrong? You know, you, you, you rerun the week or you rerun the day. Like, did I do something there will be times in your life where you will experience unjust pain. Just as the rain falls on the just and the unjust, so too the brokenness and the pain of this world is experienced by both the just and the unjust. There are certainly ways we can contribute to our own suffering, but gosh, as we've seen, just think about the past year and what we've seen. There are so many examples of unjust suffering happening to both Christians and non-Christians. They're confused and they're sad. And they don't know what to do. I remember meeting a girl after a seminar I, I spoke at. I, I, gave a, I gave a seminar two years in a row on suffering. And the second year I, I gave this talk at, at a retreat, a girl came up to me. And, and this is, by the second year I, I gathered this that whenever I speak on pain and suffering, and I'm sure this is true even in this room, I always feel a little bit insecure and weak because I know there are people in the room who have gone through unspeakable pain. And this girl came up to me and she said, um, three years ago, my younger brother committed suicide. Two years ago, I lost my dad to cancer. And a year ago, I lost my, my older brother to suicide. 
And I remember hearing that and not having any idea what to say, feeling just completely inadequate, feeling nervous, knowing no idea what to do other than just to pray and to cry with her. And, and some of you have heard pain like that. Some of you have experienced pain where you do not have an answer. I remember hearing her say, I don't even know why I'm here. She was saying, it's so hard for me to hope. It's so hard for me to trust. This is where the Israelites are at right now. We don't know what's going on, but you can just list at, at their experience. You can just look at the list of their experiences and know They've seen loved ones die. They've had things taken away from them. And they've been mocked afterwards. Go pray to your God. What do we say in the midst of that? What do we do? We need to lament. We have to lament. That's why this psalm exists. It's it's a model of what it can look like to bring our pain and our suffering to God. That's essentially what lament is. It's bringing our pain and it's bringing our suffering to God. And we need this. You and I need this. Maybe if your pain looks nothing like the Israelites or looks nothing like that girl that came up and spoke to me, we still need to lament. We still have to lament and we have to grieve. Not all the time, but when we are sad, we don't need to downplay it. When we experience the pain of others, we don't need to run away from it. If your temptation is like mine, mine is to either downplay it, this is a this is season, this too shall pass. Or if something's hard going on, oh gosh, that sounds hard, that sounds painful, I'm not sure I want to walk into those waters. When we do that, what we are trying to do is to manage and control, and when we do that, we are trying to function as people who do not need Jesus. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. I love this. He says, to grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart feelings of security and safety and lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. It makes us experience the reality that everything is shifting And everything is changing. Everything is shifting and everything is changing. What a picture of a lot of what's caused the pain in the past year. The foundation beneath us has been shifting and it's been changing. And when we don't take time to grieve that, when we don't take time to grieve injustice, when we don't take time to grieve our own pain and our own sadness We're tempting to live as if what Jesus said is not true. What does Jesus say? He says, blessed are those who mourn. When you mourn, you are actually blessed. You know why? When when you mourn, you actually see that you need Jesus. And you can actually be comforted by him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We'll close tonight singing the hymn, we will feast in the house of Zion. That is such a beautiful hymn. It's an amazing song. You know, we we will feast and weep no more. I love that hymn, but I, I love it the most when I'm sad. 
And I love it the most when I've experienced pain. Because that song can't be good news to those who have avoided their own grief and their own sadness. We need to grieve. We need to lament. And, and look, there might be some of you here tonight, and you might think, I'm actually doing okay. Like, I don't really feel like grieving. Like, life's going, you know, people are freaking out, but like, hey, you know, I'm okay. My family's okay. Nothing horrible has happened to me. And you don't need to be ashamed of that. If you're having an okay year, you're probably not having an okay year. But if you feel like you're having an okay year, that's okay. It's okay to feel, to feel happy and joy as well. But you need this psalm as well because the promise Jesus gives us is that in this life you will face tribulation. But behold, I have overcome the world. So, so Jesus does promise that in following him you will face suffering, but you also need to grieve and you also need to lament because to the degree that you grieve your own sadness, to that degree you'll be able to actually weep with those who are weeping. And you'll be able to grieve with those who are grieving. We need to grieve as well because if we never grieve, we will never be able to empathize with those who are suffering, with those who are in pain. There's a Lutheran theologian named Werner Honen. He says... He says, we need to grieve not, not just alone, but collectively. There's a reason we do a confession of sin each week. There's a reason we'll close with the hymn that we do. But he says this, he says, something beautiful happens when we bring our suffering to God together. He says this, for singing transports us, not only to God, but connects us to the people with whom we are worshiping. Singing builds and strengthens the assembly. I love that. It is beautiful to know and to cry out and long for the day when we will weep no more, that we are doing so with other people who are longing for the day that we will weep no more. We're doing so with people who have been weeping, who've been in pain and loneliness and sadness. And it connects us to God and to one another. We need to mourn. And, and the point of mourning and grieving is not just to air our grievances and to air our mourning. This psalm doesn't necessarily end on a happy note. There are some psalms of lament where it's, you know, the end is, but, you know, behold, I, 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 now I trust in your steadfast love. You read like a psalm like Psalm 13. It, it ends on a note of confidence in God. And, and this psalm doesn't end on a note uh, in a lack of confidence, but it just ends with a cry out to God. Rise up for the stake of your steadfast love. We need to learn what it looks like to cry out. We need to learn what it looks like to pray. It's amazing how long this psalm is. I was thinking about this today. It's a psalm of lament. Things are going horribly for them. They're in danger. And I would think if you're like in danger and things are going really bad, it would be hard to pray. It often is hard to pray. And yet, this is kind of a longer psalm. I mean, 26 verses, if you, you know, go through the psalms, this is on the longer end. And people on the outside might look at this and be like, why pray? And why are you praying for that long? Why? Because these are a people who've experienced no other hope. All the things visibly they can put their confidence in have been taken away. I just read this week about uh, a man in Vietnam and his family whose house was burned down 
uh, because the people in the village did not like the fact that he was a Christian. He was hosting a house church. And he went to the authorities, and they didn't help him at all. And I thought, that, that's a picture of a man. His name is Kien. You can pray for him. That, that, that's a man who understands the pain that Israel is going through in Psalm 44, whose only hope is to pray to the God who can redeem. It, it's similar to what the disciples do. You know, if you're familiar with, with Jesus' disciples, they go fishing one night. There's a huge storm, and many of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. They would have known. They would have known what it was like to experience the storm. They would have been able to navigate it. But in this one, they're all terrified. So we know it's a big storm. And they cry out to Jesus. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They say, Jesus, why are you asleep? He's sleeping in the boat. Don't you care that we are perishing? Similar to the cry of the Israelites here. Lord, don't you care? We feel like we're being sheep let out to the slaughter. Have you forgotten us? They're crying out to a God because they have nowhere else to turn. And they're crying out to God because they have a God who transcends their circumstances. But, but, the, but the good news of the gospel and the good news of Christianity is not just that we have a God who is big, like a large boat compared to a small boat. Yes, he is those things. He's more powerful and he's more mighty, but we don't have a God who just merely transcends. We have a God who condescends. I love what Paul, Paul quotes this, this passage when he writes Romans 8 and he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who, inter- who indeed is interceding for us? And then he goes on to ask this question to the Roman church who themselves was suffering. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says, no, in all these things we are conquerors through him who loved us. We are conquerors through him who loved us. Who is the one who loved us? Jesus took on flesh and entered into our pain. And it's amazing. If, if you read through Jesus' suffering, it is remarkable how similar his experience is to what Israel is going through in Psalm 44. You look at verse 14 of Psalm 44. You have made us a byword, a laughing stock. On the cross, Jesus is laughed at. He's mocked. You save others, why can't you save yourself? Verse 17 This has come upon us. Remember, they're crying out, this has come upon us, but we haven't forgotten you. Why are you doing this to people who've been faithful to you? 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know sin, but God made him to be treated as sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4 says, Jesus was tempted in every way just like us, yet without sin. Verse 12, the people cry out. And they feel like they've been sold for a trifle. Jesus himself was sold for 30 pieces of silver by the one who betrayed him. Verse 23, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Why do you hide your face? Jesus on the cross, what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
we have a God who transcends our pain. We have a God who condescends into our pain. And he suffers as Israel did, as we do. And he died. And our hope is not just that he died, just that he empathized with us, just that he experienced, but that he rose again. And actually he's defeated death. And and so oftentimes when when I'm walking through sadness or pain, that I can't explain, that is my only hope. I think, Lord, I have no, I don't, I don't know what else I can cling to other than the fact that I know the cross happened and I know the tomb is empty. Everything else seems uncertain right now. That is the only truth I can cling to, that we have a God who knows us, who knows our pain, but has defeated our pain and who promises one day he will come back to remove and defeat it once and for all that is our hope and when you know you have a god like that then you are free to actually acknowledge your pain to wrestle with what god has done in the past and wrestle with what he's doing right now and to cry out to him Because we have a God who is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we do cry out to you tonight. Lord, there's pain in this room. And there's sadness. And God, we need you. We need you to meet us. We need you to heal us. And Lord, we need you to fill us with the only hope we have in this world, that we have a God who reigns. God, thank you that you love us and you hear our prayer, that you weep with us, that when your your, your time on earth was marked as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Lord, you do not run from our pain, but you run to it. Father, give us the freedom and the honesty, Lord, we pray to bring our pain and our sadness to you, our only hope in life and in death. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.